Sox on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Sox on 35th podcast. We are back for episode two. Um, be sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe on any of the uh, podcasting platforms. All of your support goes a long way. Just looking at the numbers from the first episode, it seems like everybody was really supportive of everything. Got a lot of good Twitter shout outs as well. If you want to support the website, be sure to go over to SoxOn35th.com. Be sure to uh, head over there as well. We are doing a ticket giveaway. Um, you can find it in the top right corner of the website, or you can find the article that kind of details the entire thing. We're giving away two tickets for opening day. They are not high up. They are on the 100 level. They are beautiful seats. All you have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel. I believe there are a couple different ways to get entries into that, but we're hovering around 2,000 entries right now. So uh, be sure to enter that. It ends by the end of the week. I'm Duke Coughlin, as always, and I'm joined by Jordan Lazowski, and I'm joined by Nick Gower. Jordan, Nick, how are we doing this week? Good. As a uh, baseball coach, we got our first game this week. So pretty excited. Excited to get the season going and excited to talk some spring training stuff again here with you, both of you. Yeah, I'm doing well, too. I can't relate to having um, a team to coach, though. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, I did make one upgrade this last week, though. I'm now, for those watching on YouTube, I'm now wearing a White Sox-related shirt for once so i've joined the team officially i guess i almost forgot to mention that like i i saw when we first got on you've got the old school socks on 35th logo on there that yeah, is that is a vintage piece of merch right there i mean honestly it's probably worth a few thousand dollars you can't get this anywhere anymore so. <laughs> not is... without getting copyright infringement <laughs> it is a beautiful looking t-shirt it kind of reminds me of a, a white socks t-shirt i had when i was a kid it kind of went in a similar font i don't know if uh that's copyright infringement you were talking about, Jordan. But I, anyway, I, 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 did you just did you just call our logo childish, or what was that there? <laughs> no, I said I said copyright infringement. Oh no, 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 no! I wasn't I wasn't going <laughs> yeah, that way, Jordan. <laughs> I I'll have you know I was always a sharp dressed child, always. <laughs> like zero doubt in my mind that I was like always the freshest five year old on the freaking playground. It, so like that is, I, I take that as a slight, you know. So like you know, watch your mouth. Excuse you. But anyway, moving forward, into My more, apologies. moving forward into more pressing matters because Pedro Grafal happens to coach a baseball team as well, and that team happens to be the Chicago White Sox. And we have had an interesting uh, run of spring training lately. We just had a one-to-one tie on Sunday. I do think there's a lot of positives come out of that, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. We have a guy like Jake Berger who is absolutely mashing the baseball. But before we get to any of that, I think we need to have a discussion, Jordan, about our boy Dylan Cease. Just an absolutely brutal start from the last time we were on the podcast. And obviously, you know, we talk about Pedro Grafal having a baseball team that he coaches. A lot of people on Twitter believe they coach the Chicago White Sox as well. So there have been a lot of hot takes regarding Dylan Cease, regarding kind of, is this something we have to worry about moving forward? And Jordan, I definitely have some opinions on this as I'm a big Dylan Cease guy as well. But Jordan, what are your just initial thoughts on the start of Dylan Cease this past week? I mean, two podcasts in. First one, we go Lucas Giolito. Are we worried about him? Second one, we go Dylan Cease. Are we worried about him? I'm feeling pretty targeted these first two weeks. I'm going to be honest with you. But do we do we really have to have this discussion? I don't know. I am of the opinion that if you're healthy after every spring training start and your velo starts to build up over the course of each of your starts, that's, that's all I really care about, about the spring. Just stay healthy. Do not leave a start early for any reason other than poor performance. In Cease's case, I think he just kind of chalked it up too. I did not have my good stuff that day. And 
He probably went out there longer than he would have normally. But also, he's not in a place where, you know, some guys pitch without their good stuff and make it four, five, six innings. He's not at that point in the spring yet. I'm not going to read into it. I don't think fans should read into it. I I think just take Cease's own advice. If this happens three, four, five starts in a row, then let's start to worry. As of right now, let's chalk it up to a bad early spring start. Yeah, I mean, if the fanboys were to be believed... Obviously, the sky is falling. Dylan Cease has a 37.13 ERA in the spring, 27 hits per nine, just absolutely brutal stat line. But I'm with you. I think it's absolutely ridiculous to worry about this. Um, I've always had the thought in spring training to get it out of the way now, work out all your issues, try out things that you're not used to trying out. You know, maybe Dylan went on the mound with an approach and it just flat out did not work. You know, it's just kind of one of those things. Like you said, if it goes like three, four starts, if this kind of carries over to the regular season, you know, maybe that's one thing. But um, I, I think there's just such a clear history of guys either struggling or looking bad in spring training that were either trying something new with their stance, trying something new with how they approach themselves in the box, just kind of covering all positions. It's nothing to worry about, you know. I mean, it, the box score guys will bring up his horrendous spring training stats. You know, guys will go on Twitter and troll about it, but – Come on. Can anybody listening at home, can you honestly tell me that you're worried about Dylan Cease right now? I just, I don't buy that. Right. I mean, he has such a quick chance to be able to put it behind him today. Like he pitches this afternoon against the athletics. Just put it behind you that quickly is how quickly this conversation can be closed and shut. My only other fun fact is he gave him more runs in that start alone than he did all of June and July. So have fun with that one. But yeah, there were only like two months out of the entire year last year where he gave up more than 11 earned runs in the total month. Um, so kind of a wild game at, at the end of the day, but not one to read into, if you're asking me. Yeah, no, I'm totally under the same impression. But kind of on the flip side of that, Michael Kopech with a uh, very strong start on Sunday. I, I kind of touched on it in my uh, game breakdown from uh, the White Sox and Angels tie on Sunday. I, I really think Michael's a guy who kind of showed up, was kind of worried about maybe, you know, some lingering injury issues. I think that's always the worry when it comes to uh, Michael Kopech. But I think I, I think he proved that he is in game shape. He's kind of ready to roll. The first two innings were phenomenal. I don't think they could have been any better. I think the third inning is where you kind of started to see him struggle a little bit with control, but I think that's something that he's going to continue to grow on. And I think it was a very, very promising first start for Michael Kopech. His slider was rolling. His fastball was rising. His fastball had movement on it. He was attacking the corners. He was painting the corners, which is something that Michael's had struggles with in the past. He's kind of thrown uh, quite a few hangers in the past. But um, if we're kind of talking about the flip side of, like, not getting too low on Dylan Cease, I have a hard time not getting too high on Michael Kopech. I'm really bullish on number 34 heading into the season, and I think he's poised to have a really good season. And I think his slider is going to be a, a big reason for that yeah i mean this entire year or this entire podcast is all about um spring training overreactions underreactions for the year so far there's not much you can react to other than the three innings you get at the time i think the only thing i'd add to that is he actually had really good arm side run on his fastball as well which when michael kobik's at his best he has a ton of that and you saw at points last year when he was struggling it looked more like a rising fastball at times where, where a more typical four seam fastball, he had more of that arm side run again. And if he's bringing that back and you, you can see that part of his live arm, that's another reason to be positive. I mean, throw out the results. They are what they are. When you're looking at what was actually done that day, that's another positive data. Everything you said there, Duke. 
Yeah, I think that last year, Michael Kopech really only had a couple of starts where he really looked like himself. Like, you know, the arm side run, for example, being one indicator. There was the start against the Yankees where he took a perfect game into the fifth or sixth on Sunday Night Baseball. And there was one against the Dodgers, I think, at home where he also got another win. It was like five or six shot innings, something like that. And, I mean, it's hard to look too deep into the numbers because we know he was pitching through all sorts of injuries last year and then ended up getting knee surgery. But the big thing for me, the biggest indicator is in 2021, he had a 36% strikeout rate. And in 2022, it dropped to 21%. I mean, that's, you know, obviously a gigantic drop. Part of that, of course, he was a full-time starting pitcher in 22 versus only part-time slash long reliever in 21. But that's the key for me. He's never going to be a true pitch to contact guy and while it's good to have that in your back pocket be able to get quick outs when you can that's just not really his skill set so I think that in the long run this year being able to work the slider off the fastball maybe even develop that third pitch a little more working the changeup or the curveball which you know he doesn't throw that much but I think it has potential at least that'll be the key because if he can miss bats then any and of course he can stay healthy then he'll be the Michael Kopech that we've seen flashes of and it's all about just putting it together there was a really good, I guess, just short little video that the Sox put together with Yasmani Grandal, Michael Kopech, and Ethan Katz talking about that exact thing, that, that changeup as being an additional pitch for him. And they basically praised his entire makeup in general. And I think that was one thing that stuck out is, you know, if you want to be a major league starter, and this is kind of what we've seen over the years, you need something out of a third pitch. You can't just not have a third pitch in your arsenal. For Kopech, that might be the changeup, or it might be working off both the curveball and the slider. I, I, I'd be very curious to see what that changeup looks like, mostly because we listened to a video where they seem to have rave reviews for it. The arm talent's there. I think being able to work with Ethan Katz, I think he sees a guy that you can work on a changeup to get developed with him. You know, I don't think his growth as a pitcher has ever been an issue. I think it's just how he kind of uses his pitch repertoire when he starts running into trouble. At least that's kind of what I saw last year. He would get really overfocused on a fastball, and on the days where his fastball wasn't there, he would kind of stutter into where he was going to go with his uh, next pitch, you know. And I think that's where he ran into a lot of issues. But on the flip side of that, I think you saw a lot of starts last season where you really got a good taste of what Michael Kopech can show you throughout the course of an entire season. You know, Nick, I know you brought up the point where um, there was only really a few starts where we got to see, like, that total effort from Michael Kopech. I think... There was a stat that showed up on the NBC Sports Chicago broadcast that kind of put him really up there as far as I believe it was the amount of starts with six innings pitched, zero earned runs, and I believe it was like six or seven strikeouts. I, I'm not 100% clear on what the stat was, but it was there were some real heavy hitters in there, and Dylan Cease was below him on that list. you know. So I think you really see an opportunity for Michael Kopech to continue to grow, and I think him being able to take coaching from a guy like Ethan Katz, who has shown clear progression with a guy like Dylan Cease, is very, very promising. Outside of Michael Kopech doing very well, obviously we've talked about the highs, we've talked about the lows. I do feel like we need to talk about the World Baseball Classic, and specifically Yoan Mankata. I think he has been very impressive throughout the entirety of the uh, World Baseball Classic so far. I think he started off a little bit slow, which can be a little bit understandable considering the past year he's had. You know, Yoan has kind of been off per se, but um, I thought he had a great game against Panama. I believe he went three for five with four RBIs. That is the Yoan Mankata that we kind of have been hoping to see the last few years. Um, I don't know if it's an even an odd years thing, but um, very much a positive, very much a positive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just even going to these games, even if they get knocked out right away in the next round, 
just going there and playing well, building confidence can only be a good thing for him. Of course, he's not always facing, you know, the best quality pitching, but seeing, you know, the home run over the fence, seeing those doubles fall, he even has a couple of defensive highlights I've seen from this tournament. I, I can't see it as anything but a good thing. And definitely going into what I wouldn't call the make or break year for him because, I mean, he's out of contract for another year. And also, it's not like he's always been bad or anything, really just last year. But going into what's a very important year because I think he really wants to kind of shut off the whole, like, oh, is he this inconsistent player or is he going to go back to being like the stabilizing force he was between 19 and 21? It, it's an important year. So starting off on a good note, it's going to be key for him. And I think this will be a positive for that. And I mean, you want to talk about the highs and the lows of just spring training that we've been talking about. How, how about the highs and the lows Sox fans and Sox Twitter hit in, in a matter of 24 hours in this World Baseball Classic? I mean, between Johan Moncada and Luis Robert, the, the sky was falling, Chicken Little style, and about 24 hours later, it was, that's my third baseman, that's my center fielder. Just just the uh, uh, the amount of back and forth has been a little bit wild for me. And I think a lot of it just has to do with these guys are playing and representing their home country for the first time um, in a very long time for both of them. And to see that sort of human element is kind of nice for me. I don't know. I think we all want results and I'm sure that's fine. It's still early spring training for them too, technically. I don't know. I like seeing the human side of probably being a bit nervous and doing things you probably wouldn't do in game mid season because you're nervous about the fact that you have such an honor of representing your country. Yeah. And you know, as we've discussed before, you know, the world baseball classic is a big deal to a lot of these countries. You know, I know watching um, any game in Japan, anything like that. I think all you have to do is look at the crowd and you really see uh, how into it they are. I know there's some stories from the past of Ichiro Suzuki, just uh, how, how much he would get into the world baseball classic every year and how he really kind of took it as like the honor of defending, like kind of defending your country in a way. Um, and then you have the flip side of that and you, uh, you know, take a look at great bit, great Britain's uniforms and you kind of see uh, there's a little bit of disparity there, but uh, Cuba, Cuba is definitely a team that, um, Looks like they are honed in. They really want to make a run at this. And Yo Mankata and Luis Robert have been a big part of that. And, you know, I, I do think it is important as well to bring up with Yoan um, that his glove has been there as well. You know, even when his bat was struggling, if you want to consider it struggling early on, I just consider it maybe starting a little bit slow. His glove's been there. You know, and um, I, I one thing, and this is kind of outside of the, this is outside of the box score. This is outside of what you're going to see, like, within the game. But, I do like how honed in he is every time he comes into a mound visit. He seems very much involved. He's always talking with the pitcher that's on the mound, kind of giving them, you know, his thoughts on the situation. And I guess that's kind of the honed in type of Yoel Mankata I want to see when he returns to the White Sox. And I maybe this is a good reset for these two. You know, this is a situation where they're kind of get ba- getting back to basics, you know, where they're getting back to, like, finding the love of baseball and um, really, uh, really getting it rolling. Um, but as far as finding the love of baseball and um, kind of developing a love of baseball, we need to talk about Jake Berger and just the incredible run that he's been on as far as uh, just having power this spring training. Um, and you know what? Maybe this is me just fanboying a little bit, but I think it might have something to do with his son. I think it might have something to do with having his son at the ballpark and being able to put on a hitting display. Um, and, you know, I think that shows two home runs the other day you know, right, right in front of him. Um, and I think, uh, I, I think that's just something that, uh, 
we have to continue to see out of Jake Berger. Um, you know, whether he's the guy at first base, whether he's or whether he's the guy, you know, behind Andrew Vaughn at first base, whether he's the guy at Yohan Mankata behind at third base. Um, obviously, he's going to have a role somewhere over there um, as well as potentially DHing on some days. Um, so it's it's pretty positive sign in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. When you talk about Jake Berger and whether or not he'll make the roster, I think it comes down to a few things. One is like what we talked about last week with Chuck is Larry Garcia on the bench, is Gavin Chiesa on the bench, etc. But even just getting back to, you know, the how he plays, I love the power. I mean, anyone who has read anything I wrote knows that I think this is an extremely power-starved team to the point where I wasn't even that excited about the Benintendi signing, even though he is a good player, just because I didn't love the fit and still don't, but that's another topic. Um, but as for Berger, I think that... <laughs> sorry, Jordan. As for Berger... <laughs> I think um, the one thing with him is last year he had that really hot um, couple weeks, two or three weeks in the majors where he was hitting home run after home run and really saving the team in clutch moments, honestly. But I know, again, he was injured just like a lot of guys last year. But in AAA, he only had a 735 OPS, granted 39 games. So my issue with him is that I would like to see him, you know, kind of force the issue a little bit more. Like, I mean, you could argue he's doing that in spring training. But if he gets option to AAA and he has, like, you know, a mediocre, you know, like 700s OPS again, then like that's good enough where you can call him up if someone gets hurt. But I would really like to see him, you know, just go on an absolute tear in AAA like we've seen a lot of prospects do and just hit home run after home run and kind of make the White Sox give him a spot, even even if it means putting Jimenez in the outfield a little bit more and making time for Berger at DH. I mean, that's a great problem to have. I mean, in all honesty, I'm, and it's something that we'll have to talk about as we start really thinking about the roster crunch towards the end of this i'm having a hard time leaving him off this roster i'm gonna be flat out honest i i think if you can find a super utility guy ben zobras-esque in a romy gonzalez or force leary garcia to do that that's how you can manage carrying him and sheets and zavala i i'm having a really hard time consistently just shuttling shuttling this guy back and forth even though it may not be the best roster fit necessarily because of Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and Eloy Jimenez. I, I don't know. And, and it may change if he cools off over the next couple of weeks. But I mean, outside of the fact that dad strength is clearly a real thing, I'm having a really hard time keeping him off this roster, this, this 26 man, just simply because this sort of power is what this team has lacked at times when things have not been going well. And to have that even off the bench, I, I mean, it's the difference between Jake Berger and Jake Marisnik, essentially. And, and when you put it all together, I, I again, we can debate this as we really start thinking about those roster decisions. But, man, you talk about earning something and proving something. It's hard to do much more than he has. Well, yeah, and, like, I, I feel the same way. And I, I got into a lot of arguments last year about it. Because there are certain points where you watch what Jake Berger has done up to this point, especially when you consider the entire story behind his injury and how he's kind of worked like to where he's at. Um, he's he's done everything he's needed to do. You know, he's come to spring training this year willing to play multiple positions. You know, he's not sure. Jake, you look at Jake Berger and maybe you see a first baseman, but that's not necessarily his set position. You know what I mean? He's used to playing third base. Um, and he, he's had an openness to do that. You know, he's done a little bit of everything. Um, he showed up at the plate and, um, you know, I, I got in arguments about this last year and, uh, this will kind of be my closing point on it is, um, you know, people will complain about the errors. People will complain about maybe he's not the best fielder in the world, but 
you know, you look at you look at baseball historically. You look at guys like Jeff Kent. Um, you justify Jeff Kent being on the field and being terrible in the field because of what he did in the batter box. And Jeff Kent played on a lot of very successful baseball teams. So I, I really do think with a team that is just starving for power the way the Chicago White Sox is right now, I'm with you, Jordan. It's it's very hard for me to keep him off the roster, even if you don't necessarily love where he lines up position-wise because of what you have currently on the roster and currently guys that you have a pretty strong indication or you're going to bring on to that opening day roster. Power sells, man. It, it plays. It plays. If you can rake, man, it's it's a good problem to have, and it will cover up a lot of other issues that you have in your game. But as far as covering up issues that you may have in your game or maybe developing your game further than what you already have, we have Michael Suaro on the other line currently. Um, he is a Sox on 35th contributor. He is a guy who is going to discuss a lot, of, uh, a lot of the minor league side of things as far as spring training goes. Um, really excited to talk with him. He did a uh, recently did an article, Top 30 Prospects, that you can find on Soxon35th.com. Uh, we will have that in the description below as well so you can get a look at it. But um, very excited to talk to Michael. So we're, uh, we're going to go ahead and bring him in, our discussion with Michael Suaro. All right, guys, we are now joined by Sox on 35th contributor Michael Suero. Uh, Michael covers a lot of the minor league stuff for us over here at Sox on 35th. Um, he is a guy who knows quite a bit about prospects, and uh, he'll be able to give us a lot of intel here about um, some of the names who have flew a little bit under the radar um, as far as spring training goes. But uh, on the flip side of that, Michael, as we uh, get started, Michael, first of all, it's nice to see you. I'm glad to have you on the show. Great to see you guys as well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I know I just started with saying the guys who are maybe a little bit more obscure that Sox fans are catching, but just to start, just because we like to start on a, on a positive note, who are guys that have stood out to you so far? Yeah, so, I mean, I think everyone's been talking about Oscar Colas in the spring training that he's had so far. I mean, he's been absolutely killing it. Uh, you've seen the power come on as of recently, but all – spring training we've seen those bat-to-ball skills he's got he's just been really good at the plate and really earning that opening day right field job at least in my eyes um another guy that I, I want to touch on is Brian Ramos who I'll, I'll be honest I was a little slower than most media outlets to get on the Brian Ramos hype train I know most people started ranking him a little higher um early last year and for good reason he had an extremely hot start to the season last year I was a little slower to get on that just because his season last year was a little bit inconsistent you know after that really hot start he slowed down to be about like a 230 hitter with a 700 OPS which is fine but you know not you know super impact hitter and then he came on really strong again late in the season but I mean he's shown off his ability to hit the ball this entire spring training, hitting what, 375, I think, with a 950 OPS. He's got, you know, I think I think he's had one home run this season, this uh, spring training so far, and he's just been really showing his basketball skills. He's really been impressive at the plate, and I, it's it's no surprise that he's you know shot up the rankings over the past season and. I think he's going to start this season in double-A. I believe he just actually recently got sent back down to double-A, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how he can carry this momentum into the uh, into the new season. 
And then uh, on the pitching side, we got a, a couple of our recent bullpen acquisitions, Franklin German and Gregory, Sant- and Gregory Santos. Both of those guys have been absolutely lights out so far in spring training. Neither one of them have allowed a run yet. Um, I think Franklin German's only walked one hitter. Santos hasn't walked anyone. They've both been able to strike guys out. They've both looked really under control with at, on the mound. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to crack the opening day roster, especially they're competing with Nick Avila, who he, he was the rule five draft pick. So he's probably got the, uh, the uh, edge over them right now, just in terms of a roster spot. But those are two guys that I've been impressed with. And I, I think that they're going to make their mark on this roster at some point this season. Michael, that's an interesting answer. I think that we definitely want to talk about some of those um, guys who are maybe lower on, say, a top 30 list or your top 30 list. But mm-hmm. because you brought up Oscar Colas, I do want to um, follow up on him. I think yeah. he's something somebody who's very exciting right now to Sox fans just because it kind of feels like the culmination of the hole in right field. Like we needed left-handed power, we needed defense, and it seems like he can provide both. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is – realistic to expect out of him this year in the major leagues, whether that's from a stat basis or if you just want to talk about what you think he'll provide more generally. And then building off that, do you think he has a chance of not just being, you know, whatever you think is realistic, but also being in maybe maybe the rookie of the year conversation or hitting 30 home runs, you know, something really optimistic if that's at all possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would definitely say it's possible. I mean, he's got the talent to, be in that rookie of the year conversation, especially if he does crack the opening day roster, which I think everyone pretty much expects him to at this point. I mean, he's just been, I I can't see how they can leave him off the roster at this point. He's been so impressive. Um, In general, I think as a hitter, he's got a lot of power. I mean, everyone knows that, and we've seen it come on recently. He, He can absolutely demolish the baseball, but one thing he doesn't get as much credit for is he's just a really good hitter too. Like he can use the entire field. You know, he's got very good bat to ball skills. He, people, you know, like to say that he is a little too aggressive at the plate. And I I would agree with that. Um, But it doesn't lead to an overwhelming, an overwhelming amount of strikeouts. You know, he's kept his strikeout rate relatively average i think is just above 20 percent last year um but he he makes contact so well that he doesn't really strike out that much and again like i said he is pretty aggressive at the plate so he doesn't draw many walks and i definitely think that's one area that he could improve on in order to reach his full potential but where he's at right now i mean i think he can slot into the six hole in this lineup and those Sox wouldn't have any issues with that. I think he'd be perfectly fine right there. I don't think the Sox need him to be any better than that, at least to begin the season. Maybe as the season goes on, if some injuries hit, they will need him to step up, and I think he can get it on the hot streak and you know fill that role pretty well. But at least right now, I think you know that six or seven spot, I think he's got no issue filling in well there. And then defensively, I mean – he's already upgrade over anything we had last season in right field. I mean, the bar is set extremely low there. And you guys know I'm a Gavin Sheets fan, but he's not a right fielder. Not at all. But, I mean, he was able to handle center field in the minors relatively well. His home is definitely in right field, though. He's got more than enough range to handle that spot. He's got an absolute cannon of an arm. 
and I think he's going to provide an upgrade there day one. Yeah, big Gavin Sheets fan, but at least you're honest about his uh, yep. ability to play right field. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yep. I only um, like his bat. <laughs> Hey, Ellie, I respect it. I, I respect someone who's realistic there about his stands. I, I, yep. I, I respect it. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a bit and uh, I'll go back to Ramos really quickly. Um, you know, like you said, he got moved down to double A. Well, not moved down, but reassigned to double A. Mm-hmm. Um, what does a growth path look like for him this year? Is it realistic to expect him to be in triple A? Is it realistic to say, hey, um, just finish this year out at double A and we'll see where you are next year. What does a growth year look like? I mean, what sort of challenges does he have to face um, to see that growth over the course of the season? Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, my personal opinion is I would not expect to see him get a call up to the majors at some point this year, but at the same time, who expected Lenny and Sosa get called up last year. So things could definitely happen. Um, he's, got the ability at the plate to force the issue, I think. Double A is going to be a good test for him. I think it's going to be the most advanced pitching that he's seen. I know we saw a little bit of it in Project Birmingham last year, but he's going to have a full season of that this year. And, you know, that that entire league in Double A that the Birmingham Barons are in, that's a pitcher-friendly league. It is hard to hit there. So if he can prove that he can hit and hit for power at that league, then I think, at least in my personal opinion, that's a bigger test than uh, what we would need to see from him if he got called to AAA. Because I think it's easier to hit in that level. The ball just carries at that field. But it is a lot harder to hit in Birmingham. So that's why I was high on Lenny and Sosa last year. And if he can hit well in Birmingham, then I definitely think there's an outside shot that he can you know, force the issue and he's got to jump both Yohan Moncada and Jake Berger at third base. That's the one big thing that he's got blocking him right now, but who knows? Maybe he, he has placed in second base as well. And, you know, we, we don't have a long-term answer there and maybe they want to see him get an extended look there. I'm sure he can move to the corner outfields if he was asked. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm excited to see what he can do in double A though. And I definitely think he's got the ability to force that issue. Yeah, I definitely agree with like uh, most of your breakdown there, Michael. Well, all of your breakdown, honestly. Um, I think Ramos. I think Ramos is a guy that um, he he has a lot of potential, but you know he did just turn twenty one actually here yep. on Sunday. Um, still a pretty young guy. Uh, which, by the way, happy birthday, Brian Ramos. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it there's a logjam at third base. It, it's it's incredibly hard to get over there. There's kind of a logjam at first, even if you want to do something like that. Um, the middle of the infield would probably be his best bet. But you know, like you said, I think it's. I, I agree with you. I think it's a situation where um, I think I think patience 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 is virtue. It really is um, because he can be something, and I don't think we need him to be that this year. But um, kind of kind of continuing to roll on with the prospects. Um, you know, we talked about some heavy hitters right there. Um, even bringing up Lennon Sosa, who was somebody who uh, I think a lot of people were excited about last year. You had just recently um, over on SoxOn35th.com uh, released a top thirty prospects list. Um, I really enjoyed that read. Um, is there is there any guys on that list do you think that um, are maybe a little bit low right now that could potentially be kind of a, a, a big mover this year that really nobody's talking about? Yeah, and it, it, it's hard to say no one's talking about him, but I think he's going to be – if he puts up the season that a lot of people think he can, he's going to be a massive riser. And that's Ryan Burroughs, who he put together uh, his debut season in the Dominican Summer League last year. 
I had him ranked in the low 20s on my top 30 list. MLB Pipeline actually had him as high as 11. So that that was a surprise to a lot of people, I think, because he's not a well-known prospect yet, but he's got the ability to really jump up those rankings. He is uh, he was 18 in his first uh, season in professional baseball, and he was he was only a $70,000 signing bonus guy out of Panama. So he is very very under the radar signing, but he was an absolute home run from the scouting department. He's a he's a six two shortstop. He's incredibly athletic he's got a lot of range he was i think 12 for 12 in stolen bases in the dsl last year hit a couple home runs and he's got the as he as he matures and fills out he's got a lot of raw power in that swing and as he grows a little more i think he's going to add even more strength and he's going to add definitely add to that power output he's a guy that could probably be a 2020 guy if he reaches his ceiling he's got there's a lot of potential with him and he's actually also shown a pretty advanced approach at the plate, considering it was you know his first season in minor league baseball. He had I think about a 13% walk rate, uh, strikeout rate just a, just below 18%. Um, I mean we'll see if he can keep those numbers as he gets into some higher levels, but I would expect him to make his stateside debut next year, most likely in Arizona. However. The Sox have been known to be a little more aggressive with some of these prospects that they're high on. So there is an outside shot that he could start in low A Canapolis so that the Sox can get a full season out of him. It wouldn't shock me. I think it's more likely that he uh, debuts in Arizona, though. But either way, he's definitely a prospect that White Sox fans should keep an eye on because he is one that can absolutely skyrocket. You know, I, I really I really like that that's the type of prospect that you brought up because I don't think it gets highlighted enough with our organization how well we are at signing international players. Um, you know, and that's that's something that doesn't really get talked about enough. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of looks at our farm, doesn't look at, you know, top top end first round pick talent all over the farm or anything like that. They don't really see that. But I really think we do have quite the pipeline when it comes to being able to have our international scouting department go out there and find guys. Yeah. Um, so I really like that, and I really, I really think that's somebody uh, to keep an eye on. And to uh, for anybody listening, we'll uh, we will actually have the link to Michael's uh, article in the uh, in the description. Whether you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening, we'll try to have that in there so you can go check it out. A really great read. Um, yeah, so uh, I really think. Uh, I, I, re- I really like that. I really like that. I think uh, I think that's a very important part to highlight. Other than Burroughs, two, um, two guys that I, I wanted to ask you quickly about um, that you, you mentioned briefly were Frank, Frank, Franklin German um, as well as Gregory Santos. What have you seen from them this spring? Since I know spring training is kind of the only thing we got. It's kind of our focus right now. What have you seen from them that you've kind of liked? Whether or not they make the roster, um, they're, they, they're names that have been talked about because of the potential to add to a bullpen that's already down Liam Hendricks. Yeah. I mean, I think both of them have been pretty damn good so far in spring training. Both of them have shown an ability to miss bats. I think first and foremost, they both have been, you know, shown the ability to strike batters out. I mean, we haven't gotten a ton of, uh, ton of a, the best look at them. And I think Franklin German's pitched six innings, Santos has pitched four. So, it wasn't the most extended look we could have gotten out of them, but in that, in what we've seen so far, both of them have been able to strike batters out. They both limited walks. I don't think Santos has walked anyone yet. 
Um, neither one of them have given up a run so far in spring training. And, you know, these are, these are prime Ethan Katz guys too, you know, high velocity fastball, you know, big breaking pitch. Usually I know he's a big fan of the fastball slider combination. I think both those guys fit the bill pretty well. Um, I, I think he's already been working on that with them. And, you know, like I said before, I do think that they're probably behind Nick Avila just because he was a rule five draft pick. And I think it's just, he's going to have the edge just because if he doesn't get a roster spot, he gets sent back to uh, his original team. But I think both of those, these guys have really shown a lot of ability on the mound and, you know, as unfortunate as it is, there is a hole in this bullpen right now with Liam Hendricks out for who knows how long I'll praying for him. But I think this is a great opportunity for those guys to step up and show that they belong on this bullpen. And so far they've both been up for the challenge. And it's nice to see a guy like Santos, who you mentioned hasn't walked anyone yet in the spring mm-hmm. when, when walks were kind of the, the story of him as he came yep. over to the White Sox. Um, so it's encouraging to see that some of those arms, like you said, these Ethan Katz projects um, are starting to bear some fruit in some form. It, it's still early and it's only spring training, um, but there are positives there, as you've mentioned, and it's good to see. Michael Suero, guy you can find on SoxOn35th.com. Um, I know he has a Twitter account as well. I don't, I'm not sure what the Twitter handle is off the top of my head. I'll let you plug that right before you go. Uh, but a lot of great stuff, a lot of uh, a lot of minor league stuff, and um, we're excited to see you back here eventually, Mike. Awesome. Thank you so much. And the Twitter is msuero. Got to do the shameless plug. Well, appreciate Absolutely. having you on, buddy. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys, and that was Michael Suaro. Um, lot of lot of really good info there. Um, I guess the biggest thing I would highlight on top of all of that um, would have to be the Brian Ramos points. Um, I thought I think he is a really polarizing prospect. I think he's somebody who did look very well in spring training. Um, obviously, at just sitting at 21 years old, that's a that's a tough task to really call up right now, especially with the log jam we have at third base. But um, I do like the idea of him potentially getting reps at second. Um, you know, as as Michael was talking about, I think uh, there is an open opportunity at second base for a young prospect. You know, regardless of who that might be, um, if it's if we're playing the longer game, I could see that being a Colson Montgomery. But there are some guys who could potentially play the middle of that infield, and I think Brian Ramos is a guy you certainly need to consider. I uh, I really liked a lot of the points that Michael brought up. I thought it was uh, a lot of great info. Yeah, for sure. I think it's one of those things where with Ramos, if someone gets hurt, say next year, maybe Moncada goes in the aisle for 10 days. And at that point, Jake Berger is playing first base more than third, like he started to, you know, maybe that's a good opportunity for Ramos to come up and show what he can do. Um, I also wanted to comment on Jose Rodriguez as a potential September call of this year, because I think that one thing about Rodriguez is that is so special beyond just his athleticism, the way he plays the game in general is his speed. Uh, he stole 40 bases a couple of years ago in his last healthy season, and that was, you know, 120 or so games. It wasn't even, you know, a full year, quote-unquote. And I think that now there are the bigger bases in the major leagues and the pickoff rules, et cetera. He's one guy where he's just so fast that if they call him up in September, he doesn't even need to start necessarily to make an impact. He could just be a pinch runner and, you know, play some defense at second or short when needed. So that's one interesting name to watch, and I like that he – brought him up as a potential call-up just because there are so many things he can do if he if he stays healthy. So I'm looking forward to a, a full year out of him, hopefully. 
And, and the point you make on Ramos is an interesting one. You, you know, you look at what the Sox been doing this spring. Jake Berger's been playing first base. I, I don't know who the natural backup is for Yohan Moncada. I don't think Leary Garcia is a natural backup there. Hunter Alberto is kind of not really. Romy Gonzalez, probably not really. I, I think it almost feels like Brian Ramos is that next sort of piece in the depth chart. It's where it might make the most sense to see him. I, I thought that was an interesting point. I also thought hearing about Franklin German, uh, Nick Avila, those Gregory Santos, those types of guys, you know, in a year where you're still kind of scrambling for some pieces in your bullpen, it, it's very interesting to hear about, even just from small spring training appearances, little signs of growth, which are important, which are which are key for a team that historically, at least in the past couple of years, has not been building their bullpen from inside, rather going out and spending. It's nice to see those areas of growth. This is this is what teams should be doing in terms of putting together their bullpen. It's great to see. Um, but really appreciate Michael coming on. I thought that was a great conversation and really good insight on some of the spring training side of the minor leaguers. I know we're talking a ton about uh, the major league side of things. It's nice to see the minor league side of things as well. Michael brought in some great insight. Um, overall, great interview, great insight, great podcast. But I think that's where we're going to close her out. Another great episode of the Socks on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, really anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether you watch it in video form, whatnot. If you enjoy our articles, be sure to go over to SocksOn35th.com. We also have a Facebook page. Facebook page is popping. So if you ever want to get our uh, articles from over there, that's a good place to go. Comment sections are always a breeze over there. I always love poking in and seeing uh, everybody's opinions over there. Be sure to follow us on Twitter as well, Socks on 35th. Um, I believe we have TikTok as well, Talks on 35th. Um, I think that's something that is a work in progress per se, but uh, I think it's something that a lot of people are going to enjoy the content going on over there. Um, and also be sure to sign up for our ticket giveaway for the opening day. This is the final week that we are going to be doing that giveaway. It is as simple as going on to SocksOn35th.com, find the article discussing the uh, giveaway. I believe there's a, a big banner in the top right of the website that uh, you can click on and it'll take you directly to that page. It's as simple as subscribing to our YouTube channel. I think that's a tall task. I think that's pretty easy for a free, free podcast. Let me bring that one more time. We're free. You know, plus it gives you a chance to win some awesome tickets. Um, as as Jordan always likes that I bring up, it is not on Mount Jerry. It is in the 100 level. So it is uh, certainly a good view of the entire ballpark. But anyway, we will see you next Tuesday. Um, that is all I've got. And uh, until next time, go White Sox. Go White Sox. Go Sox.